Welcome to Romance Your Tribe Radio with me, Janet Beckers, where every episode focuses on simple action steps you can do this week to grow your business online and bring joy to the work you do. Hello and welcome everybody, Janet Beckers here and I'm really excited to welcome you to my beautiful friend, Randall Dobbins. Hey Randall. <laughs> and I'm so excited to have Randall to, here because we got to spend a bit of time with each other about a year or so ago when we were both, um, you know, at similar, you know, meeting at different events and we just um, really, really hit off and so it's so lovely to connect again and especially because Randall has a really unique business that, you know, that helps on so many different levels. We're going to dive into that. But know here, if you are interested in getting corporate contracts, if you are interested in your business, even your business, if, if it feels really small, in being able to get these really lucrative contracts that go for years and years and years in the corporate market, Randall's your man. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And also with this, we're going to talk even further about this extra twist of the other expertise that, Brand, that Randall brings to this, where not only with corporate getting those contracts, but also what do you do if you're in a minority, that you yourself, your business is owned by a minority. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because Randall's got some, I've learned a lot about this particular market just before we got on here. So I'm really looking forward to sharing those insights with you and about the contracts. So really looking forward to today, Randall. Likewise, Janet. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic because I know when we first met, um, I had about a year where I was taking part in a mastermind group with Ryan Levesque. And so I was over in the US for two months out of a whole, out of 12 months. I was over there, I think, four, four times. And a lot of that was really immersed. And we met at the very beginning and again at the very end. And what was really lovely is right at that beginning, um, I can remember you, Randall, saying, yeah, I just want to, you know, just want to talk to you about what I'm doing and we had some really good conversations and insights into who you help and then a year later seeing you know the progress that you had made and what you were doing and your amazing persistence and now it's about another year and a half later and seeing that growth so it's been um, I feel as if I've been watching you know being part of this business evolving it's 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 exciting yeah. Very much so. And it's been uh, an amazing journey. I think, you know, my journey is similar to a number of people that go after corporate contracting in terms of um, the perspective of being a business owner. A lot of what um, you talk about with, uh, you know, romance your tribe, you know, you can have a great idea, but wrapping a business around a great idea is a very different proposition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just really understanding that market well so that you know what you need to be offering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what we might do here, Randall, is we might spend a little bit of time today. We're going to talk about you and who you help. We're going to talk um, about the concept of minority-owned businesses and what does that mean and the extra challenges that come there. And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time, we're going to dive into some real how-tos on 
understanding how to get corporate contracts. So we're going to split it up into two parts for everybody listening. It's going to be really interesting. We'll get you. Um, I know that I'm going to be learning a lot. So tell us briefly, Randall, who is it that you help and how do you do that? All right. So corporate contracting, uh, any corporation can have anywhere from 30 to 60,000 employees in their, uh, I'm sorry, uh, suppliers in their database in any given time, 30 to 60,000 suppliers, people they do business with, they purchase goods and services. They buy some of everything. Uh, pretty much everything you have in your house, they purchase <laughs> from, 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 the, uh, from the washroom to the kitchen and everything in between. Uh, now, um, and, and then of course they purchase items that are specific to their manufacturing. So if you think of, for example, Ford, clearly Ford buys everything that goes into a car or a truck, but Ford buys everything else that you need to put those together. So they buy real estate, they buy furniture, they buy consulting services, they buy health and wellness, uh, consulting and, and education and various products, insurance products, right. they cleaning supplies, they purchase everything. Historically, what's happened is uh, it was a, a boys club for the most part because for the people who had the vision to start those kinds of businesses, they had people who had the vision to figure out how to supply them. And that came at the expense of doing business with folks that didn't look like them. Nice. Women didn't look like them and people of color didn't look like them. <laughs> right. Yeah, because they would be doing it through introductions, through their mates network. Absolutely. Or, or their best buddy from high school or from the golf club. It wasn't that there was an effort to keep people out. I mean, in some places that that's exactly what it was, but in other places it was just, let me go with who I know. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so now that we're at a point that these, these organizations have grown so large that uh, they, they accept that they have a responsibility to create opportunity for others primarily because they consume so much in resources. You right. can't be a consumer of resources and not find a way to share the wealth. Okay. That's, that's yeah. So, and and the, the companies we're talking about are like these fortune 500 companies. They're big, big companies that have a big impact on the economy. Absolutely. Just the fortune 500, the top 500 companies alone, the global 500. All right. Okay. Uh, that's uh, uh, mostly public companies. There are a handful of private companies in there, but just those 500 alone in uh, 2017, they had annual sales in excess of $30 trillion with a T. Wow. To put that in perspective, I tell folks, you, you know, the budget of the U.S. government, which is, you know, one of the larger governments is just over $4 trillion. The U.S. economy that a lot of people are trying to sell into is uh, $19.1 Yet these 500 companies, not the global 1,000, not the global 2,000, just the global 500 account for $30 trillion worth of spend every single year. Right. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, that's when you're talking about how now they're becoming aware that, you know what, we've, we've created this white, white boys club. Um, now we have this responsibility to change this. You can certainly see, I mean, if they're having a bigger impact on, in the economy than a government, 
that's, you know, they can really be influencing so many people. So, um, so yeah, continue on. So how does that then with the people that you help, how does that impact? So what's happened is about uh, 30, 30 or more years ago, especially in the U.S., uh, companies realized that they had a greater responsibility to the community. They started with um, doing uh, community outreach programs where they'd start foundations or charitable giving arms, and they would help uh, the poor or help out in education, build schools, all those kinds of things. But the emphasis became, okay, you all have created an economic powerhouse, so if you really want to help communities, then you need to create economic, um, sustainable economic opportunities for everyone else to get to that level as, as, as well as you. So a lot of them created what's now re referred to as supplier diversity, all right? And supplier diversity is not only are they looking at diversity and inclusion within their employee base, they're looking at diversity and inclusion to their supply base. And here's where it's great for uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners. Pretty much in every economy, most innovation comes from small business owners. You know, we tell the story that um, you have to look at a big business to kind of take some of the mystery and mystique from it. You have to look at a big business as nothing more than a small business that did a lot of things right. They, they had... Been, yeah, had video been around, they probably would have been having conversations like we're having. But even the people that created this this technology that we're using, it was just an idea in someone's head. Same with Ford Motor Company. Same with uh, people that created the light bulb. Same with uh, uh, Elon Musk with te uh, Tesla. All right, mm -hmm. all of these were just ideas. Like your community and my community and, and all of us have just have an idea and we wanted to do something big, and so. Uh, what a lot of them realized, especially now, as we have gotten into the 21st century and we're moving forward, they understand that their customers, either direct or indirect, are mostly women and minorities. So 70% of their customer base is now um, diverse, are non-white males. Right. Okay. And so they're saying, hey, if that's what our customer base looks like, then our employee base probably needs to look the same. And by extension, the people we buy from probably needs to look that way. And given that small business is really and truly the source of innovation, which is where their next leap and growth and everything is gonna come from, we not only are major employers in any economy, uh, but we are the major source of innovation and so they're looking for us. They need us. The issue they have is a lot of us aren't ready to do business right now because we don't understand that market. So that's been where the problem has come in. They argue they want to do business with uh, diverse business owners or uh, minority business owners or women business owners, but we aren't ready. And it's like, well, you, you say, you take an example, uh, somebody like Hewlett Packard wants to sell or Dell wants to sell to Ford or um, uh, a large bank, what well, makes sense? You, you, you know, it's like, I, I can see how I'm going to have a great compatible relationship because they're big enough to supply all the, the 
parts and services I need. And I'm big enough that, uh, you know, I can afford to write a big check for all of that. Yeah. And so if you come back and you say, well, okay, I'm not Hewlett Packard. I have a, a local IT shop, um, you, you know, right here in um, uh, Melbourne or, or Perth or Austin, Texas, where I am and whatnot. How do I get into that? Because I can't fulfill all of their global needs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah that's and, absolutely. So, that would be going through my mind. Absolutely. And, and so uh, we've, we've had this log jam where there's a lot of great small business owners that didn't have what corporations refer to as capacity. Yeah. Service the contract. Okay. And not only was there an issue with capacity to service the contract, there's the issue of are they contract ready? Meaning, do they even know how the big boys go to market and how they buy? And so what we talk about is there's uh, three steps okay. that uh, folks really need to, to wrap their mind around. One, you've got to have a value proposition or a product or service that a customer says is valuable to them. We'll, we'll drill down onto this a little bit more. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Because I'm about um, to talk to all. <laughs> yeah. So if you mention the three and then I'm going to grill you. I'm going to grill you. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, number one, you've got a product that they say is valuable to them. It, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, me, me telling my girlfriend, hey, you're going to really love the way I kiss your hand. And she goes, no, I like the way you kiss my neck. If you don't kiss my neck, then you didn't kiss me at all. <laughs> she value me kissing her hand. All right? But there are a lot of guys out there saying, hey, I'm a great hand kisser. All right. I'm the best hand kisser you're going to get. Uh, that, is, that is the most unusual example I think I have been given here on this podcast. <laughs> I got more of them. I can keep them coming. <laughs> the second issue is you have to sell the products and services the way they buy them. And uh, yeah. that, that one is huge. That one is really big. And that one is one of the greatest limiting steps for a lot of us uh, small business owners and diverse business owners. And then the third one is we've got to be ready to handle the contract because they're not giving it to us for our ability to service their needs today. They're giving us the contract for our ability to service their needs tomorrow. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so they've got to be comfortable that if we get our foot in the door and we work with them, that they can take us every place they think they're going to be, Excellent. which is also what makes it an amazing opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you can land one of these contracts, if they're thinking about for you to, for tomorrow, you know, they're thinking of you long-term. So you might be investing a bit of time up front, but this could be something that's going to be providing revenue into your business for decades. Absolutely. We see in some cases uh, you take uh, the McDonald's company and I don't care what country you're in. They have a company called uh, Martin Brower. You can go to the Martin Brower website. They refer to themselves as the logistics company for McDonald's. Uh, and then you might say, well, what does that mean? Okay. First and foremost, those two companies started on a handshake for, at this point, over 60 years now, they've been together. Right. right? And Martin Brower, when they talk about logistics, Martin Brower moves the beef from the Australian farmers to wherever in the world McDonald's needs beef. They handle all the warehousing. And so uh, any place that McDonald's needs a warehouse for all their other goods and services, Martin Brower has responsibility for making sure that everything that goes into a McDonald's store gets there 
um, at the time they need it without having too much inventory or having too little inventory. Right. They do all the math that goes on in between to make sure that whether you drive in after a huge soccer match or rugby match, or you drive in in the middle of the day where nobody's doing anything that you can get your, uh, your Big Mac and fries. Yeah. <laughs> not gonna hear. Oh, look, we're out. We're out of that today. Do you want to know what the, would you want to know what the daily special is instead? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> all right. But I mean, it's a, it's an amazing concept where you say there's um, that kind of relationship, like you say, that has extended for decades of yeah. uh, four suppliers that have been with them for over a hundred years. You know, other companies that have been a, around for a while. It's like, yes, uh, Hewlett Packard and Disney, when Walt Disney put Disney together, he and Hewlett Packard have had an arrangement that is, that is still standing to this day. Right. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's the potential that you can have that, that these long-term relationships. So if we go back now, because if we think about um, these, these three things that they're going to be making their decisions on. So if, we, if I give you an example of, of some typical people who may be listening to this podcast, can we now look at, well, what do you have to know in place so that you can... Um, maximize your chances of understanding how that works. Will that work all right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, a lot of the people who I know are listening here, they're the ex they are the experts at what they do. So they may be a coach, a consultant, a service provider. So an example of somebody going into corporate might be somebody who, say, um, can go in and for all of their staff, they can be starting to run, say, um, health and yoga programs for the staff. Or they might be somebody that does some kind of training that they can be using for team building or for, for corporate training. Or they, mm -hmm. may, they may also be creating some sort of products as well. But a lot of these people may, it's their expertise that they may be packaging together to be able to help a larger group um, of people rather than one-on-one. -on -one. So if we take us that sort of person that would be thinking, wow, like there's this huge potential. Like I'm soul ran. Like I really... This is a great, um, you know, I want, to, I want to be able to see how do I go into the corporate market. What's some of the things that they need to learn or to have in place to be able to be able to do that with confidence? So every group you mentioned, um, corporations buy those services. I have a friend that actually has a massage business and she actually goes in, she's a massage therapist. And she actually goes into um, a large oil company, the world's second largest oil company. She goes into their headquarters in uh, the Woodlands, Texas, and uh, provides uh, massages on site for their employees. Great. Okay. So, you know, I tell folks, and, and I want to be clear with, with everyone on this, because we get a number of people that have... Um, um, uh, or, you know, like beauticians and stylists and other kinds of things, you have to differentiate between what it is the company buys versus what the company employees buy, okay? And so then you know which, which specific one of those are your, your customers. But let's be really precise about the question you just asked. The issue is not uh, will the company buy it. The issue is, is there a compelling business case why if it's something they hadn't done they need to do now you you mentioned coaching let's take coaching and wellness all right mm -hmm. 
you pretty much pick any economy and there's a potential for um, a loss of productivity or potential burnout of employees. I really don't care what the country is. I don't really, especially in the Fortune 500, as competitive as it is. Uh, so all of these companies now are looking for proven programs where they can make their employees um, uh, more productive, where they can reduce the stress, where they can make the, the work personal life balance uh, a lot more. So there's a lot of work for the people in the coaching space right now that, um, that corporations go, if you can demonstrate to me that it is a value to my company and I can see how it's going to pay for itself, then I'll give it a try. Love I absolutely it. will. I absolutely will. But you've got to make that case for me. And so where we fall down is we don't we oftentimes don't know how to make that case. It's like yeah. if if you have someone that has like a nutrition program, because I, I came across a lady who is a personal chef for a leadership team, a corporate leadership team. They are committed to healthier eating. That's who she serves, is what we call the C-suite, the senior executives. All right. And she provides, um, uh, she has a nutrition plan that helps them to stay fit, mentally agile, and overall healthier, okay? Nice. And, and, and so what they had to do, though, was she had to talk through, why is that important to them? What does that mean for their business, for them to, to uh, be nutritionally sound, okay? And so she was able to talk to them about that, what that means, how that helps them to be more productive, and um, and she was able to get in and succeed. But it was all about the ability to communicate why this is important. And she did it in a way where she could explain to them the cost of not doing it. So you start looking at, um, if you don't do it, what is the cost of a sick day? All right, just, just to, to peel this onion just a little bit more to, to, to yeah. just a little deeper into this, just say hypothetically, you can just pick some average numbers, you have um, uh, an employee that um, costs 100,000 a year. You can take their salary, their salary could be 60,000 US, but then you throw in benefits and overhead and everything else, their cost of the company is 100,000. And then you can divide that by uh, 280 days in the work year, excluding weekends and holidays, all right? Uh, or in hours, 2,080 hours, okay? And you start saying, okay, if I divide 2,080 hours into 100,000, I know what that employee is costing per hour. Now, if they're off work for three days, uh, three eight-hour days, 24 hours, I can now quantify that cost for that person being out, okay? And uh, if, if, um, if uh, they are worried about their children because We've got people running crazy with guns and this, that, and the other and whatnot. Uh, and if I've got a solution that actually helps folks to be more protected, if I've got a solution that helps people to be more aware and other kinds of things, then I can now quantify the impact of that to the organization. If I know that I've got a, a planner or I've got a, a team building technique or process that allows them to be more productive, if I say, in, in uh, a 2,080-hour work year, what if I can get you an additional 208 hours, 10% of productivity, <laughs> okay? Uh, now, yeah. I'm beginning to talk to them 
And so they can then understand this is why we need to do this. This is how much money is on the table. This is how much productivity we're losing. This is how much time off that we get to get back into the company. This is how much more effective we're going to be with uh, regard to a whole host of things. So that's the way you kind of have to think through. How do you create a business case for change? Oh, I love it. That is absolutely brilliant, Randall. And you know what? That's... That's the thing where I've, where I've noticed other people, they will struggle with that because they will go, well, oh, you know, it, you know, we all might be able to go, okay, well, I can, I can understand the benefits of being healthier and all of those sorts of stuff. But businesses, they're, they're speaking the language of money. You know, they need to know either you're going to save them or you're going to make them. And so I love that you have given such a really good example. And I love how you use the term, let's peel the onion more. I just love that visual. It's because that's, I love that. That is perfect because that's a really great way to take something that you may not think, you know, you can say it's a definite cost, you know, it's going to add money to the company, but you've just shown how to relate that. Perfect. That's a great one to do. So, yeah, that's my challenge. If you're listening to this and you've got so, or even one of these examples that we've been talking about is my challenge to you is how can you break down exactly what Randall said there and apply it to what you do? Um, and if you do, let us know. I'd be really excited, really excited to hear how you've done that. So over to the next one then. So people don't know how to actually position this? How do they actually present it to the corporate? So what's the next things that we need to know? So uh, the, the next issue, which is the, the next gap, is people oftentimes don't understand how corporations go to market. And my example on this one is I, I, um, I imagine you're going in to buy a new car. All right. You've done all your research. You've done all your homework. Um, you know exactly what you want. You, you, you know the make, you know the model, you know all the features you want, you know the color, you know whether you need a, a, a minivan, a, a convertible or a two-seater, a, a four-door sedan, a, a, an SUV, you know everything you need, all right? You go to the new car dealer and you see this really attractive salesperson coming your way all eager and excited because they, they, they feel like they're going to close the sale. And imagine, you know, you've done all this homework, you're ready. You're, you're not stepping onto the lot until you know you're ready to buy, okay? Yeah. And so uh, imagine the salesperson comes up to you and says, hey, boy, do I have a deal on a nice new set of tires. Right. And you, what? What? And so we, I have this thing that, that, that goes, never sell tires to a new car buyer. <laughs> Love it. That is that's a good one. I love it. And, and, and what happens, and, and this happened to me when I was actually a buyer. I was a buyer for, a large, for the world's largest oil company at that time. And uh, I had responsibility to uh, find women and minority business owners or diverse business owners to purchase from. And they would often approach me only selling a part of the solution. So the guy selling the tires is like, well, yeah, yeah, my new car has tires, but I need, you know, everything else that goes with those tires. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I only needed tires, I wouldn't be here at the new car lot. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, a lot of us never do the homework to find out how we, how they purchase what we sell. So we oftentimes walk in with a part 
of the solution. And the problem that creates is, you know, imagine that you're not going to just buy parts for your car, okay, for a new car. You're not going to buy them individually. The reason it's attractive is because it's a single solution. It's pre-assembled. It's ready to go. It's built. It's done, okay? Nice. So uh, what you want is someone to sell it to you the way you want to use it right now, okay? Excellent. I love right. it, love it. And, and, and so a lot of us go, well, okay, um, I have a yoga business. I have a consulting business that focuses on um, um, executive management product uh, productivity. I have a retreat uh, business that helps out with stress reduction. I have a, 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 a widget business um, that manufactures this, a specific part of a solution, but I don't have the whole solution. And so now what I'm asking the customer to do is they have what's called a tightly integrated supply chain, and I'm telling them to break their supply chain up so that they can do business with me. And it's like, no, if you can, 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 you know, sell me the whole thing, then come on in, primarily because I'm buying the whole thing from somebody right now, okay? Right, but I'm having to deal with a few different people if you can do it in one go. There you go, there you that go. Is, that is brilliant. And, you know, I'm just thinking of some clients that I have helped to actually um, take, you know, because the examples that I've given, you know, have been people who I've worked with and have been going into to companies that have numerous um premises and one of the things we looked at was you know we've got to do that research because if we can make it really easy for them to just buy it and we can automatically open it across every single um you know location that they have because you can do that is it's with cloud-based things is that's going to make it really really easy to sell and that's what worked so i love that you said that Absolutely. And in this case, uh, a lot a lot of us struggle with, well, how do I find out how they buy things? Well, you go to a networking event where they are, one of their conferences or other types of things, and you ask them, how do you buy this? <laughs> All right. How do you buy such and such? And, and it's one of those things where you see like in um, staffing companies, people that pervert, uh, supply uh, people for accounting or lawyers or or um, ad administrative staff or bookkeepers or whatnot, you know, a lot of them have gotten to the point where they don't want 30, 40, 50, or 1,000 different contracts. So what they've gone to is they've moved to what they call master agreements or master suppliers, where one supplier provides all those different skill sets. Their contract is with one person, okay? So now you get into the issue of whether or not, it, are you selling against this person? You're selling one single activity in an umbrella of activities, okay? Yeah. And you're now approaching the corporation saying, hey, I want you to do business with me. And, and they say, well, okay, I know you're strong in this one area, but what about these other 15 areas that we need? <laughs> right. So okay. that's a real potential to be that sort of master sort of umbrella. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's giving me some thoughts there as well that's uh yeah that's really that's good so um so we've looked at really how do you actually pitch you know from the way that they make the decisions and you know being able to approach them so is there one any any other area that people need to know 
before they are prepared to, you know, can actually go out and get these gigs. So then you have the third piece that we talked about, and uh, we'll talk about this one before we're going to talk about the one thing that they absolutely must do. Uh, they have to be ready to get a contract. Okay. And, and, and you, you can imagine this. It's like, okay, there's an issue of what it is you're going to offer versus what it is that's going to be required. So I might not approach a large corporation uh, saying that I can offer consulting services for their global operation. Okay. I might have a fantastic, uh, so I might do uh, like assessments. I, I might use Enneagram or any of whatnot, but I've got a unique thing that talks about um, how you put teams together, understanding their various personality traits. Now, f physically, I can't be at uh, 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 locations uh, across the world in the same time. And this is not something I can do virtually. I really need to do it in person if I'm really going to be effective and develop the kinship and the trust that I need. Okay. And so where we've been at a disadvantage is that we've said that's what the game we want to step into, but we're not ready, ready, ready to handle it. And when we talk to the corporations and they say, well, hey, okay, your company is uh, 100,000 U.S., 200,000 U.S., 500,000 U.S., um, you're replacing somebody who has a $1 million, $5 million, $10 million, $20 million business. How are you going to service all these locations? Now, there's some art in how you answer that question, but the inability to answer the question immediately tells the buyer, I'm not ready. Right. And, and the example that I, I, I tell folks, because I really want them to wrap their minds around, it, and, and this, it's a fixable problem, okay? But, you, you know, it's like you're stepping into a game um, where we're talking about 50000 a year for three-year contracts or 150000 over three years. You, you know, 500000 5 million, 15 million, 50 million, 500 million, 5 billion. These are kind of the size contracts that we're talking about that they do every day without batting an eye. They'd rather do a $100,000 contract than a $10,000 contract because it takes the same amount of work to write it as well as a million-dollar contract. It takes the same amount of work to, 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 to figure everything out. So you may as well go for the bigger one. All right. Yeah. And, and so the issue that I make to people is like, okay, look, you know, what would you do if a major corporation says, hey, I need you on the other side of the world for a meeting uh, Monday and you look at business class airfare and it's going to be 15,000 U.S. or 25,000 U.S. Just to, just to get there and back. And it's like, if that scares you. <laughs> then this may not be a game that you're ready to play, okay? Right. However, if you say, I understand that that's what's going to happen, then now I know how to start working my banking relationships. I know how to start understanding what financing I need to have in place. I can now start understanding the partners that I need to work with so that um, maybe I need to have some type of uh, reciprocal relationship in another part of the world where I can get the work done with somebody that I trust, kind of like what you talk about working collaboratively, okay, and, and being able to do it. And now I've created capacity to service a large contract because I understand that's what's going to be required. Oh, I love it. I was wondering how you were going to do that because I thought, okay, does it mean that you have to really expand your business? 
But I love how you've just said there, Randall, that you know what? It's knowing it and being prepared and yes, creating those relationships. And, and you know what? The thing there that's really is needed at that particular step is the belief, the belief in yourself and the model that, you know what, I can make this work. So it is worth me having those relationships with my bank, with the partnerships and going into them going, you know what, I'm, we're preparing for these big contracts rather than Look, I'm going to try this. It may not work. So don't really feel too secure about trying to get into a partnership with me because it's probably going to stuff up, but you know, Hey, I'd give it a go. Like that's a very different in a head game, isn't it? When you're going, yeah, it, so. you know, what? I'm committing or I'm not committing. I'm not just kind of going to dabble into this. Correct. This is not an area in which you dabble. It is not a dabbleable <laughs> task. You're either in it or you're not. What I tell um, all, all of my clients is you, you have uh, one of two choices. You can go with all corporate business and you can make sure no one customer is larger than uh, 25 or 40% of your revenue stream because you people have gotten happy with one customer only to see, as we see in the newspaper, that company or their ind or the industry have an issue. I mean, right now with the opioids thing, I wouldn't want to be in the pharmaceutical business. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Just saying. All right. And so there's a reckoning coming. So you don't want one customer to be more than twenty or forty percent of your business. And oh, by the way, uh, you can have multiple Fortune five hundred customers, or you might say, I only want Fortune five hundreds to be some uh, 20 or 40% of my business. I, only, I may only want corporates to be some part of, because as you and I were talking about previously, these are contracts that typically go three to five years and then they renew. So they can go for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. If you know what you're doing, you know how to service them, you know how to keep the client happy with regard to the results they're getting from you benchmarked against all your competitors if your results continue to be better year over year which you know as you started with a lot of us are experts in our field so in our case being experts in our field means we're on top of our industry and we know how to keep continuing to deliver value better than the competitors yeah all right with yeah. that mindset we can have contracts in a in a in a, in a reasonably stable environment for a long time to come. It's not by accident that the big um, uh, consulting firms like uh, Deloitte and um, um, PricewaterhouseCoopers and all those people are still in business all these years later. Okay. I, I mean, a lot of them have had a lot of the same contracts since the beginning because they know how to continue to add value. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know what? That is a love. That is actually a really nice thing for us to start to, to wrap up on is, you know what, and this is the same, whether you're going to be going for corporate and getting those continual contracts or whether you're, you're just going business to consumer or business to smaller business is it's one thing to get the contract and be prepared for it. The other one is, you know what, you've got to aim for excellence because not only does that give your clients the results that they need, it also means that that's how your business keeps on growing. So, 
aim for excellence is Absolutely. <laughs> if you do that, that's where you keep on getting that repeat business. It's absolutely. Oh, look, I have, you've really got my mind buzzing here. I'm thinking about different clients that I've got and you know, different ways that we can be putting, you know, really expanding into these markets. Very exciting. Um, and so for what would be like any last thing for you, actions that people could take this week, Randall, if they're, if what we've been talking about here, that their mind is also buzzing and they're thinking, yep, you know what, I'm going to go for here. Like what's actions that people could take this week that's going to get them started? Okay, so, uh, and I'm going to do this briefly. Yeah. I, I want people to make sure that they avoid a huge mistake that folks makes go, make going into this market. They start, it becomes, the goal becomes just to get in. And they assume that whatever that opportunity is, that uh, that's more important than anything else. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not, Okay. okay. The most important thing is to understand what is your core business, all right? And when I talk about core, what I'm specifically saying is, what is it that you do better than your competitors? It may not be what you went into business to do. You may find that you went into business to uh, provide a product or provide a service, but what your customer tells you about is the thing that you are absolutely the best at and they, they'll pay, they pay a fortune for it, is your project management. <laughs> right, okay. All right, and so the reason I say that is, is because you look at like a company like FedEx and you assume that FedEx is, um, on their core business is the, the package delivery. It's like, no, their core business is actually the tracking. Right. Okay. okay. Yeah. You look at McDonald's and you might say, McDonald's core business is the burgers. It's like, no, their core business is real estate. You look at AT&T and you might say, hey, their core business is wireless. And it's like, no, their core business is wires, wires, all those wires that they've streamed uh, over uh, underneath the ocean. And if their ability to leverage that investment that they put in wires is their, that's their core business. When they purchase Time Warner and um, um, AOL and everything else, they could put more traffic through existing wires. Okay, that's their core business. So what you want to focus on is the one thing that I want you to do this week is to, to really zero in on what is it that you do better than your competitors and your customers recognize it as your expertise. Now, the reason that's important is as you begin to partner with other companies to build out your ability to, to A, create a solution, and B, to service a large contract, you want to know what you do well so that you don't give it away. <laughs> All right. And not only do you not give it away, but what you do well, because you do it well, it should be the easiest thing for you to scale. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and your ability to scale is what's going to help you to manage large contracts. The problem is people scale this way and they become best at nothing when they scale horizontally. They're stretched too thin. They're, they're, they're doing a lot of things. They're not making money on these different things, but they say, hey, I have to do this because the customer asked me to do this. It's like, no, this is not what you're good at. So stick with what you're good at 
and then uh, develop partnerships for people who are good at the other things that you don't do or aren't good at. And then you all come together for, to, uh, to uh, work together for your solution. And that allows you to compete against the big boys. And the reason this is important right now is a lot of big corporations, we see it, we just don't know the thinking of, around why it happens. They are shedding what they call non-core business units. They're getting back to their core business because they're not profitable doing stuff that they, they, what they aren't good at. Uh, yeah. So focus on your core this week. What is it? What is it that you do, do well, that you're better at? And then secondly, understand what is the actual value of it, all right? What is the actual savings? And you can even ask your customers, hey, you said, look, we have a great customer service organization. You, you, you like that better than our ability to come in and, and sell you the product, all right? What does that mean to your business? And somebody said, oh, wow, that saves us, um, you, you know, four hours of research every time we call you. That saves us from having to dispatch a team of people out to do something. That saves us internally uh, a whole host of rework. What they just told you is here's the value of what you do well to their business. They just wrote your sales pitch. <laughs> I love it. And you know what, that's the, and if you don't know the answer to that, you've just given it, Randall, is go and talk to your customers. Is if you're not really clear on exactly what that thing is, that may not be, this is what I started the business for, but it's, hey, that's what we're good at. Talk to your clients. That's. Oh, that is that is really good advice. If you can do that this week, that's um. Oh, my mind is thinking. My mind is thinking so much on this Randall. And be open to what they tell you because we oftentimes tie our ego to well, this is what I do, and it's like yes, this is what you do, but that's really not what people value. What people value is there's something in the way that you go about doing it that's more important to them than what you actually do. So you have to be open to that input. Love it. That is brilliant. That is really, really good advice to end on. So we've just covered so many things here. So it's a bit of a recap here for everybody that's listening is if what Randall's been talking about with the, you know, venturing into corporate contracts is take that time to really look at, you know, what is it? That, what is the value that you're adding? So how do you know that you can go and talk to them and show them the value? So Randall talked some, some really good advice there, peeling back that onion, on actually showing them the numbers and then also looking at, you know, how do, how do they buy things so that you're actually selling the car rather than the tyres? You've got really good analogies. And, and then to be able to make sure that you can actually deliver. So what do you need to have in place? And I love your ideas of actually looking at partnerships to be able to make sure that you can deliver there. Doing those things there is just really valuable work. And I love how systematic you've been about that, Randall. Now with people, if they want to know more, how can they get into Randall's world? And where where is a good place for people to start? Right now, they can actually go to uh, one of my websites, uh, corporatecontracts101.com. And uh, we've got some uh, things going on right now in the near future that they can take advantage of for free. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I think they're, they're going to be pleased. We, we're going to walk through uh, the simple things it takes to actually get into this game 
and uh, some of uh, we're going to go into a little bit more depth around the three things that I just mentioned to you uh, yeah. around what specifically do you need to know. Uh, and we get into, you know, talking about negotiating because a lot of people fear negotiating with the big boys. And it's mm -hmm. like, there's, there's, there's no reason to fear it at all, but you can go, you can go take a look at that site. You'll see what we're talking about. And we've got some dates coming along uh, down the road where there, you know, there's live training available as well as some online events and other kinds of things. So CorporateContracts101.com, that's the place to go. <laughs> that is brilliant. And as you can tell, Randall's got a very beautiful, systematic way of talking about it in a very clear way. And I, I just like to hear you laugh, actually. I can't, I can't, <laughs> laugh. I can't hear your laugh without me wanting to have a good gut laugh as well. <laughs> and in my things when I work with any any partner or with clients that I'm working closely with is I've got to have a good laugh. So yeah, that's, um, that must be why we became friends straight off. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Great energy. Great energy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Randall. I, my thing, and you know, if you've got some value from today listening and Hey, how could you not? Um, one of the best things that you can do for Randall and I is to let us know, like let us know what were your ahas and what action have you taken. So go over and stalk Randall over, you know, go over to Corporate Contracts 101, go and stalk him on social media and let him know, like what did you get from today? Like that is incredibly valuable and I would love that too. So if you're listening to this on iTunes, I would really appreciate if you would leave a comment and tell people, you know, what did you get from today's episode? And that will help other people to be able to find this as well. And it's just incredibly rewarding for us to be able to hear, you know, because we share these things because we want people to actually implement. So um, thank you so much for your time, Randall. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And I am really looking forward to hearing what kind of action that you take. So go out there and go get them, folks, and change the world. Bye. Take care. Thanks, everyone. It's Janet here. Thanks for joining me on Romance Your Tribe Radio. Hey, you heard our voices today, but do you want to see what we really look like? You can see the video version of this episode over at romanceyourtribe.com and grab the show notes while you're there. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate if you show the love and leave an honest review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory. I'll see you on the next episode.